Welcome to the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast, where you learn the best doubles strategies to improve your game and win more matches. I'm your host, Will Bocek. This podcast, my website, and my weekly newsletter all focus on the goal of better understanding the sport of doubles and helping players like you improve faster through actionable advice that you can use in your very next match. My goal is to provide the best doubles strategy resources in the world. And to do that, I study, analyze, and work with players at every level of the game, all the way up to the ATP and WTA tours. If you enjoy this podcast, I've created double strategy products that go even deeper if you want to take your doubles knowledge to the next level. At the end of this episode, I'll explain more about them, or if you want to learn more now, go to thetennistribe.com slash products. Here's today's episode. In today's episode, I talk with Dan Kiernan. Dan is the former number one British doubles player. Uh, He played college tennis at LSU. He is now a coach of Lloyd Glasspool and Harry Hiliavara, who made the ATP finals last year and are a top 10 team this year so far. Uh, He's also the founder of Soto Tennis Academy in Spain and host of the Control the Controllables tennis podcast, which I have been listening to recently and I highly, highly recommend. Um, So in this conversation, Dan and I talk about uh, how he came up with a name, Control the Controllables. Um, It's a pretty good story about um, his career, the end of his career, and some kind of challenges he faced and why Control the Controllables encompasses um, his philosophy personally and within his academy. Uh, We also talk about um, his work with Lloyd and Harry, uh, how they've seen such a significant rise in the doubles rankings over the last uh, year or two. Uh, And then we dive into strategy. So if you're more interested in the strategy, definitely um, you can fast forward to kind of the second half of this episode. Uh, I ask him about guarding the doubles alley. We talk about serve strategy. We talk about um, if it's better to be aggressive on returns versus being consistent. Uh, We talk about his favorite doubles drills and a lot more. Um, And I really like Dan's philosophy and kind of principles a lot. And I think the first part of this episode is worth listening to, even if you are just more interested in the strategy, because Dan talks about those principles and how they kind of... um, kind of encompass all of the decisions that he makes with uh, all of his players um, within himself uh, and how it kind of ties into the improvement process on the tennis court and the doubles court. Um, So without further delay, um, enjoy this wide-ranging, long, and really fun conversation with Dan Kiernan. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, we have Dan Kiernan on, former British number one doubles player, former player at LSU uh, and current coach of Harry Hiliavara and Lloyd Glasspool, founder of Soto Tennis Academy and the host of my new favorite podcast, uh, <laughs> Control the Controllables. Dan, welcome. Thanks for having me, Will. I tell, hey, I'm I'm blushing here. All of those <laughs> that 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 list. I've not heard it said like that before. So thank you for Boy, the introduction. <laughs> you've earned it. Um, <laughs> So I wanted to start, uh, I started listening to your podcast a few weeks ago and I, I listened to the first um, or the most recent episode where you had Jamie Murray on 
about Opelka's comments, which we'll get into. Um, but I've been also listening to a few other episodes, including um, I went back and pulled the Louis Kaye episode because I saw that name and had to, being into yep. double strategy, had to listen to that one. Um, but I wanted to start with uh, just the name of the podcast. It looks like you started it during COVID um, and went with Control the Controllables for the name. In today's episode, I talk with Dan Kiernan. Dan is the former number one British doubles player. Uh, he played college tennis at LSU. He is now a coach of Lloyd Glasspool and Harry Hiliavara, who made the ATP finals last year and are a top 10 team this year so far. Uh, he's also the founder of Soto Tennis Academy in Spain and host of the Control the Controllables tennis podcast, which I have been listening to recently and I highly, highly recommend. Um, so in this conversation, Dan and I talk about uh, how he came up with a name, Control the Controllables. Um, it's a pretty good story about um, his career, the end of his career, and some uh, kind of challenges he faced and why Control the Controllables encompasses um, his philosophy personally and within his academy. Uh, we also talk about um, his work with Lloyd and Harry, uh, how they've seen such a significant rise in the doubles rankings over the last uh, year or two. Uh, and then we dive into strategy. So if you're more interested in the strategy, definitely um, you can fast forward to kind of the second half of this episode. Uh, I ask him about guarding the doubles alley. We talk about serve strategy. We talk about um, if it's better to be aggressive on returns versus being consistent. Uh, we talk about his favorite doubles drills and a lot more. Um, and I really like Dan's philosophy and kind of principles a lot. And I think the first part of this episode is worth listening to, even if you are just more interested in the strategy, because Dan talks about those principles and how they kind of um, kind of encompass all of the decisions that he makes with uh, all of his players um, within himself uh, and how it kind of ties into the improvement process on the tennis court and the doubles court. Um, so without further delay, um, enjoy this wide ranging, uh, long and really fun conversation with Dan Kiernan. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Today we have Dan Kiernan on, former British number one doubles player, former player at LSU uh, and current coach of Harry Hiliavara and Lloyd Glasspool, founder of Soto Tennis Academy, and the host of my new favorite podcast, uh, Control the Controllables. Dan, welcome. Thanks for having me, Will. I tell, hey, I'm I'm blushing here. All of those <laughs> that 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 list, I've not heard it said like that before. So thank you for Boy, the introduction. <laughs> you've earned it. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to start. Uh, I started listening to your podcast a few weeks ago, and I. I listened to the first um, or the most recent episode where you had Jamie Murray on about Opelka's comments, which we'll get into. Um, but I've been also listening to a few other episodes, including um, I went back and pulled the Louis Kaye episode because I saw that name and had to, being into yep. double strategy, had to listen to that one. Um, but I wanted to start with uh, just the name of the podcast. It looks like you started it during covid um, and went with Control the Controllables for the name. Why that name and what does that mean to you? 
This this could be the whole podcast here, Will, if you want to okay. get into doubles. But no, I mean the, the the quick version of the story. Yes, we did. We started it during COVID, um, as I think a lot of people did. You know, I I also run yeah. an academy out here in Spain, um, which Soto Tennis Academy, which I set up thirteen years ago, and we were we were hustling to be honest you know we were uh you know we we were hit from all angles because people come to Soto Tennis Academy from outside of the area and sure. people come to then travel and play tournaments so kind of in one fell swoop that was taken you know our whole business was taken so yeah we were hustling online online programs i actually did a couple of instagram lives which was the the thing of the time uh, maybe mm-hmm. not as funny as Rafa and Roger, but we we jumped <laughs> on and and I got some nice feedback. So I just I literally just set up a I I, I just looked in on Google how to set up a podcast and you know really yeah. as basic as that you know and started got speaking kind of reaching out to I guess it's the time I realized my network was bigger in the sport than I'd ever thought of before as well. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, back to control the controllables. We actually. <laughs> I'm almost a bit embarrassed that minute. I don't know if it's a good thing, but we called it control the coronables at first, um, <laughs> which maybe felt a little bit sensitive after yeah. the first few months, which right. is when we then, which we, we then changed it to control the controllables, which is very much being the philosophy of the Academy for 13 years. And mm-hmm. I guess my, my own personal story on that was, which is a big belief of mine. I, I was a, a player, an okay player, but I, I was like a lot of players who have a reason why they haven't made it and blaming a federation or blaming mm. not getting the wild cards or whatever it might be, you know, the kind mm-hmm. of usual tennis player story. And then mm. when I stopped playing, I actually, I, I, I started gambling for a few months mm-hmm. Um badly you know i i I became addicted to gambling that was my thing my my fix and 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 i broke down one day and spoke to my now wife about it and and that would i had this big realization that it's time you take control of yourself dan you know what what you you you're whinging and mourning and making excuses for for every last thing and it's never your fault you know, you you grab a hold of your world, you know, and the the biggest controllable that we have is ourself. And that was a that was a quite a defining moment for me. Um mm-hmm. that was 14 years ago. Okay. Um I haven't gambled since. Um I mean you could argue I gambled setting up an academy in Spain. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> always taking some gambles. But yeah, I put that energy into something more productive and used kind of my uh, hopefully my tennis expertise and experiences uh but it all came from that place of me taking taking care of my own destiny and stopping waiting for other people to to make it happen and stop making excuses um which is very much then what the academy was set up on you know where we're big on that I'm big on that with my team I'm big on that with all the players um Lloyd and Harry will know that I'm also big on that as well uh mm-hmm. that you know ultimately you know we've got to take ultimate responsibility and ownership ourselves so so that's where that really has come from obviously it it has many connotations sure. you can delve you can delve into there's a lot that can be talked about around control the controllables but it, it it's something that has a very strong meaning to myself and with the podcast we're trying to delve into the the different stories within the world of 
tennis to to showcase that as well. You know, there's a lot of great people, not just players in tennis, but people in tennis that have taken so much from this sport, but by by controlling what, what they can control and and setting the, their lives up through the medium of tennis. And, and that's very much what the podcast stands for. With your academy, um, I'm curious. So let's say like you have a junior player um, who's really talented, you know, doing well, but maybe they do have that attitude where they're not, controlling the controllables and they're making excuses for reasons why they lost a tournament or something. Is there a, a process or like an exercise you go through with them to help them kind of better understand what that philosophy is all about and what that means? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there is a process, but it's different for different people. You know, sure. so you know, I mean, one one thing that I'll get back to to the to the question, but we're, what we're not looking at at the academy is to take in perfect individuals that are already in that perfect headspace. It's, yeah. I, I think that a lot of that process is 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 growing up. It's maturing. It's you know being put into the environment. You know, and I'm a big believer that we're all the product of our environments. So so on a on a larger scale, it's around setting the best possible environment day in day out. You know, and mm. and and we have a big saying that it starts with us, and that's within the team. You know, and that's if if I don't walk in in the morning and say good morning to everybody with a smile on my face, I can't expect a snotty nosed teenager to do it. You know, if I'm not willing to, you know, put the, put the work in every single day and live, live life the right way, you know, we've got our strong values, which is an acronym of growth, you know, and gratitude is very much at the, at the top of that respect, ownership, want, you know, we call it then the T is the daily bill. You know, we've all all got a bill to pay, you know, to be mm-hmm. successful in anything. And then the H is for for humility. If we're not living that ourselves within the team, then we can't expect the players. So that's the starting point. You know, we mm-hmm. we have to do that. Anyone that's wearing the badge, that's what it, it has to represent. Um, then from there, each player has their own personal roadmaps that are set out. And within that person, that roadmap, yes, there's very much tennis related things, but there's also life skills on there as well. You know, where are they at? You know, whether it's school, whether it's changes that they want to make, whether it's that they're, they want to have an extracurricular activity, something that's going to bring confidence. Um, and then every player then has a lead coach and, and team around them that is holding them accountable to that. Some mm-hmm. players, some players will then go into having this what we call the daily bill, where they are every day accountable to that daily bill. They've all got their own WhatsApp groups. We've got apps, program management apps as well, where they're feeding back to their inner team on mm-hmm. on those areas. Um, so, so there's there's lots of different tools in place. Um, we 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 do know, and one thing I I do know is there's there's naturally people that are stress management will be excuse makers <laughs> you know mm-hmm. that that's how they and andy murray would be a great example of that you know andy when andy murray gets very uh, upset or, or or is dealing with high levels of stress his go to is 
that it's because of the balls or it's the courts or it's because he didn't train, uh, you know, for long yeah. enough or because the fitness coach didn't do. And and so, so it's hard to fully change somebody's, somebody's way. But I would yeah. also say if you take Andy Murray, he is absolutely controlling the biggest controllable himself in terms of what he's doing, you know? So, so, so we're, we're not talking about trying to make robots here, you know, but we are talking about trying to help people develop as, as good people who, who, who have gratitude and appreciation for, for this sport, for this opportunity that they have. And I think when you get into that headspace, it's much easier for you to mm-hmm. then have a better perspective and outlook and and look to try and make the most of the opportunity. So, um, yeah, there's there's certainly tools and strategies that are in place, but it will it will depend on on the on the person because yeah. different people will have different ways that they need to work. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Andy Murray's a great example because you do see him often, you know, complaining it to his box and, um, yeah, you know. Uh, complaining about whatever it might be, but yeah, he's definitely obviously controlling um, the things that are important to have the career that he has. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the most recent episode. You had Jamie Murray on, Noah Rubin, um, and y'all are talking about uh, Opelka's comments. He said that um, if he could change one thing about the ATP tour, uh, he would just get rid of doubles. I wanted to get your take on it because it seemed like in the episode you didn't share as much of your take being the host. You were kind of uh, yeah, um, letting uh, everyone else give their opinion. Um, what do you make of the comments and, and what are your thoughts on um, the state of doubles, I guess, on tour right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the first thing I would say, I don't mind the comments at all would be the first mm-hmm. thing I'd say. I... I I think the more that we have people making bold statements, the more that people shine a light on our sport and and the better, <laughs> you know? So, so somebody like Riley, I don't personally know Riley, but great. I think he's great for the game, you know, get, mm-hmm. you know, give, give opinion, you know, Nick Kyrgios, give opinion, Dan Evans, sure. you know, these, these players. So, <clears throat> so the first thing I would say is I, I certainly have zero, annoyance at the comment itself because everyone's yeah. entitled to opinions and I like them being shared. I I, I think I, I've actually listened as well to Riley on a couple of podcasts since we spoke. Mm-hmm. I I try and think balanced. I've also had a big chat with Harry who's on the ATP council. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I, it's been quite a hot topic the last couple of weeks, which I think is a good thing because ultimately we're looking at the product, the, the the tennis product, and then we're looking at the doubles product. You know, how how do yep. we make this better? How do we make this, you know, more marketable? Now, my, my big opinion on it is you either go into a super league of 16 singles guys, and that's mm-hmm. where tennis becomes, and that's where the ATP want to go, and they want to have the top 16 guys playing in boxes of four, whatever it might be, pick a city, uh, you know, take it on a road show, sell big tickets, make big money. And Mm. everyone gets to see the superstars they want to see, you know, they can go that route that then opens up the opportunity for other people to, to, to make tours and, you know, whether it's UTR, whether it's whatever it might be, there's, there's, there's people out there. There's enough passionate people out there that I think if tennis gets pushed, 
And if doubles gets pushed, I think there's enough passionate people out there that have some money that will go, well, screw you guys, <laughs> mm-hmm. actually. <laughs> let's let's set this up. You know, and yeah. I, so so again, I, I'm not against that. I, 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 I change sometimes is good. Like I think I mentioned like in Live Golf, you know, you can look back at live live golf but one thing it has done is it's it's pushed the pga to be a little bit more forthcoming with with finances to innovate uh, rather than just sitting on 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 what they already have so i think that's the first thing i think the the second thing and the reason i say that and i i find it really difficult to differentiate between mektic pavic mm-hmm. and rusevori mm-hmm. I, I find that really, really difficult. That and I, and I know the argument is well, Rusevori is needed to play against the singles guys. Well, he's not. He's not because you could just have the the top sixteen guys playing yeah. in a super league. You know, mm-hmm. because you can just have the same counter argument that well, doubles is needed to provide content for for these events. You know, we saw Indian Wells was absolutely ram-packed every, nearly every doubles match, certainly in a two-three yeah, day, day window. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there's there's enough events that I've been to where the, the the doubles is is well represented. I just find it very hard to differentiate between your lower level singles players and the doubles players. You know, mm-hmm. so that so that gets my back up a little bit because then it's like. Come on, guys. Who 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 are you? Who are you to say that? In some ways, you know, yeah. like you're you're not. If if Alcaraz is saying it, you know, if if Nadal's saying it, we've yeah. kind of we've kind of got to bow down to them because that is the reason why people. The the majority of people, uh, uh, right. not not just buying tickets, but that's the reason the TV rights, which is where uh, the big amount of money comes. So yeah. so I think there needs to be, but then it brings in that there needs to then be a decision made, and it ultimately what it boils down to in anything in life. If I if I don't want to look after boys at my tennis academy as the director of the tennis academy, and that's my vision. Anyone that's trying to look after boys is going to have a have an uphill battle because they're going against they're going against what my my vision is as the as the owner as the mm-hmm. director as the so so the vision needs to be clearer if coming mm-hmm. coming from our tour is is ultimately and <clears throat> I don't know the ins and outs of that I know that Noah Rubin on on the podcast said that he's heard from numerous sources that the ATP don't want doubles. And it's just mm-hmm. uh it's almost just uh a little part of of it. Well, if that's if that's the case, they need to say that. <laughs> they yeah. need they need they need to say it. They need to be brave and say it. And and let's let's look at setting up a, a separate doubles tour if that's mm-hmm. if that if that's the case. Um, but I, I personally find it hard to believe that there's not value in it. You know, I you know, I I think you go you go around the world, it's it's an it's exciting for the most part. I know you can get some boring doubles matches, um, but it, it's a part of what we all love about. You know, you've said yourself, pe- most of the people listening in on this podcast, they're they're playing club doubles. You know, they're right. doubles. There's an interest. There's 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 a there's an interest in there. So then it does boil down to marketability, and that's you know that then comes to the decision that needs to be made from the, from the ATP. So I, mm. I think that's, that's where I think the decisions need to be made. Certainly 
on the tour, it doesn't seem like there's big stresses or issues. You know, I, I, I think, you know, it doesn't seem to be. I know you get the, it's, it feels like every five to 10 years, someone makes a bold statement, yeah. um, but it certainly doesn't seem to bother them so much. You know, you do get some singles players obviously playing in, in the events. Um, but yeah, but ultimately, like anything in life, unless there's a clear vision and there's a clear focus on what wants to be achieved, we'll mm. kind of we'll be, we'll be in this place of status quo of not quite knowing what to do. Whereas if right. someone makes a somebody makes a bold move, then I think something will change. Yeah, something will change. And yeah, uh, you know, I, I I do then believe that you know, the the management of time. And again, they're things that are starting to be talked about, which is good. You know, why this didn't happen during the pandemic, I'll never know, because that was the perfect time yeah, to have these real discussions. But but yeah, I, a doubles match maybe shouldn't be longer than an hour, you yeah. know, and 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 I I even the last couple of weeks in India, well, the amount of times I was sat at change events as the coach who's massively into the match, like completely emotionally invested in the match. Yeah. And I thought, bloody hell, they're still sitting down. Yeah. Like, geez, like they've played nine points. Yeah. You know, I like they, that idea. Um, I guess it, it must've been on your podcast. I don't know if it was Jamie, but somebody mentioned, yeah, let's get rid of the change of, or the, the changeover on doubles like you can do a changeover but no break you know um yeah get, maybe get have a me. break after the set or something but that'd be i, I the, the amount of times will that i saw because obviously as you're following the matches you start to go right we're third after 11 mm -hmm. let's just keep my eye on the 11 match and the amount of times i looked at the clock and it was 11 14 and the a ball hadn't been hit really yeah so, so, so if you start to go right, because actually the warm up, who needs the? Let's be honest, the warm ups are a bunch of nothing as well because they they walk on the court, welcome the players, some of them go and change their shoes, change grips, yeah. do a bit of this, then they hit for three four minutes, then they go back to their towel. It's like. 12, 13, 14 minutes, you know, yeah. whereas if for, for scheduling reasons, let's, because let's be honest, this is that the money is TV money. So for right. scheduling reasons, if they know that the program is going to start at, at six o'clock, second, the, the starts at six o'clock <clears throat> and the person with the ticket goes at six o'clock, that's when the first serve is hit. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no sitting down at change of ends. Yeah. You can you can make noise in the crowd, and that I noticed that in Indian Wells actually, the, the American crowds are always louder. You know, yeah. I I went to university in America, so I can say this because I love America. But you know, America is louder in general. You know, as a, yeah. as a, as a country, but it was great. There was a there was a buzz feeling in that. You know, but having that, having people a bit more of a carnival atmosphere where people are speaking and there's mm -hmm. more happening. I think the doubles guys would welcome that. You know, and you 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 cut out those bits at the start of the match. You cut out those bits at the change of ends. All mm -hmm. of a sudden, you've got 45 minutes to an hour of high intensity. You know, the scoring system is is fun. It's a pain in the arse as a coach when you're on the losing end, but it's a <laughs> but it's a but it's a fun scoring system. You know, yeah. most of the matches do come down to one, two, three points here or there, and then you market the hell out of the players. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you've 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 got a product. 
You've, you've yeah. got you've got a product, so I don't think they're far away. And and I I hope that through this discussion, and that can be started by people disagreeing with doubles. That's fine. I love yeah. doubles. I'm very passionate about it. I hope that that discussion started will lead to maybe some innovation some changes, that, yeah. that that then that then brings the sport to 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 it onto a, a different platform that that we can all celebrate for the next 15 20 30 years um yeah. because because I saw that college tennis has just taken I mean that that well, broke I my think, heart I think that, that's uh, I think that was an April Fools joke <laughs> I saw uh, that was too. it yeah was I think it? so I think okay. so I saw it too and uh, like retweeted it and was like, no, like they can't do this. But uh, then I read through the comments and people were saying it's April Fool's. Oh, okay. so thank right. goodness that's not true. That's the only April Fool's I got got done by this year. But that that yeah, would so be heart- that that would be heartbreaking because yeah, that'd be it, tough. If I go into the ecosystem of an academy or the ecosystem of tennis, but you you know academies and clubs are a big part of that. You're you're giving hope. As a coach, yeah. and and you know, not every everyone has the skill set. Not everyone has the skill set to play. We saw that Alcaraz Sinner point the other day. Not yeah. everyone has got that skill set, you know. Nope. But I, <laughs> but but I saw Sinner play doubles, and he's stood in the complete wrong place. He's yeah. you know scared, he's scared of the ball, so he doesn't have the skill set to play doubles. So right. so, so so some people that are more natural. It, with their hand skills, with their reading of the ball, with their anticipation, mm-hmm. are we are we saying that those skills aren't as important as as speed into yeah. a corner? You know, and 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 that's that's something that when when we are teaching youngsters and getting people into the game, there is some people that are more naturally gifted in the attributes that are needed to be a good doubles player. So, yeah, of course. So, so, so for me, who's trying to also motivate people to have a journey like that, and and, mm-hmm. and many thousands of others, to be able to use that college and look how important doubles is for college, and you know, you get yourself into the lineup in college by playing you know doubles, and then who knows? That's that's a legitimate route into into the sport of tennis, which yeah. I'm all for supporting people into tennis. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm all for giving people hope. And giving people an, an opportunity, um, and 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 that would be something I'd I'd love to share with your listeners, or if they if they listen to to Jamie Murray, Noah Rubin on on control the controllables, it's it, it was talked about the sport of cricket, and and <clears throat> and it's probably a bad sport to use to to Americans, but if we if we if we take take cricket, which can be a five day event. Mm-hmm. which is a test match and then they used to have one day events they now have which the one day event would have been let's say 300 balls or pitches received for each team okay. now they now they have an event called the 100 which is just 100 balls or pitches that are received so as you can imagine the skill set for 100 balls which lasts 45 minutes compared to playing for five days are completely different. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, the one that's playing a hundred balls is the the stronger player, the one that can hit bigger. So, in it's not called a home run, but in baseball terms, hitting the home runs. You know, whereas yeah. the, the one over five days is more patience, strategy. It's now endurance. Who, yeah. Who's to say 
that either skill set is better. And, yeah. and, and and because it's been marketed so well in 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 back in the UK and India and Australia, the key countries that play cricket, they are now selling out all forms of cricket. Tickets are huh. tickets and TV rights are sold, you know, are doing incredibly well. You yeah. know, and it's and nobody is looking down their nose at the one that's playing the hundred balls and saying, No, well, you're just playing a hundred balls. You know, I'm playing five days, which which is kind of the singles snobbery is a little bit to the doubles guys. Yeah. Uh, you're I, just in half a court. You're just, da, 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 you know, yeah. which is, which is, it's, which is not the case. They're, they're working as hard. They're on the court as much, you know, they're, right. they're putting, they're, they're putting, but to a different skill set. Sure. You know, they're, they're honing in a different level of peak performance for, for di- a different skill set than they are on the singles court. And that's where I find it slightly frustrating as well, because I think it's a, it's, it's uninformed, uneducated views. I think that people are making mm-hmm. there and they're just falling into this trap of following the narrative that you only play doubles if you're not very good at singles. Whereas yeah. Whereas you could have the narrative where you're only playing singles because you're not very good at doubles. Yeah. There's no reason why that couldn't be looked at like that as well. Yeah. I I like the idea of um, the idea you mentioned earlier about getting the crowd like more involved in the doubles matches. And I think like to accomplish a lot of this, it probably would have to like break off into its own tour and then it could just really innovate fast and like mess with the format but one of the biggest complaints I have as a big tennis fan, and then I imagine like if somebody's coming to a tournament for the first time, is having to sit there and wait for the next changeover to get into my seat, right? So if like yeah. if doubles had its own tour and had the crowd talking and had like music pumping between points, kind of like World Team Tennis did, um, I think new fans wouldn't be like, oh, I'm not going to that boring singles match. You have to wait for the changeover. You have to uh, be quiet during the point. Like doubles could, I don't know, maybe leverage that at some point. Um, But I don't, I I mean, I'm not trying to create like a competition. I love singles and doubles. I mean, they they could almost have a doubles court though. So if I, if if we use the example of cricket, it's quite funny. They have, with the these short matches that are happening on an evening after work, mm-hmm. so people go to work. There's a lot of beer tends to be drunk, uh, yeah. but they they have like they have hot tub area, so they've got like a VIP mm-hmm. area. So some people are sat in hot tubs. You've got different bar areas. You know, there's 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 things going on that make it more of a carnival atmosphere. You know, mm-hmm. and it's I don't know, maybe maybe it is that. Maybe there's a there's a it can be the same tour, but you have a doubles court that's set up with different VIP seating and you've got yeah. an area where there's a band playing before they come on or, or you know, the, the something that that, <clears throat> that brings a little bit more razzmatazz to it because like you say, that there is nothing more off putting than especially if you're trying to get in first game of the second set and you've got to wait blinking three games to get yeah. into, in, into your seat. You right. know, that's 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 gonna put a lot of people off. Um yeah. but yeah, the com- conversations like this, but conversations at a higher level, which I know are happening, but yeah. I just my concern is that the AT the people in charge at the ATP tour have already kind of made their mind up that they're they've got a bit of a stick up their backsides that 
they're yeah. they're not they're not the most innovative people in the world right. you know they're, they're protecting their roles and uh, uh, it's hard to see them pushing the boat doing anything too extravagant right other other than if there was a big big pressure coming from the the big players within the sport to get rid of doubles that might be the route that they would look to go but it's it's hard to imagine that they're they they're they're sitting there thinking how do we make doubles more yeah. accessible and more marketable you know because that doesn't seem to be in their master plan which is the concern yeah, yeah. um i want to move on to a new topic but we could go on and on about this yeah. um I, I would love to see them just do some basic marketing for doubles though i mean just even the um you know they had the wta finals here in fort worth and like all of the signs around the stadium and stuff it's just the singles players like if you were new to tennis or new to the tournament you wouldn't even know a doubles tournament was going on there so it's like just like basic stuff like that i feel like could be done but anyways um let's move on to your work with uh lloyd and harry so they made the atp finals last year um i think at the beginning of the year they were both outside the top 50 is that right i think they were like 70 and 68 something like that okay yeah so they had a kind of a breakthrough year there um what is something they are better at now than they were say like a year or a year and a half ago what's been like the difference for them um i think i think one of the biggest differences is they've dedicated themselves to doubles mm-hmm. you know so uh, they've been playing together for 18 20 months <laughs> it obviously takes a little bit of time to establish one one that partnership uh, to it doubles is so quick and it and it it does come down to one two volleys making a first serve getting onto mm-hmm. a return it, it comes down to such fine margins that these these top guys are so tuned into that you know they've tra- they're training they're training crazy to get to that point where they're able to make that lunge volley or they're able to you know make that reaction volley that's going to make the difference so Mm-hmm. I think as they've matured into that, I think that absolutely is is one of the biggest things um, mm-hmm. that that's happened. And then the second thing on that, the journey on the way up is not easy, right? You know, I mean, you've got you've got Henry Patton and Julian Cash that have made it look easy by winning ten challenges in a row last year, but yeah. it's you have to win a lot. <laughs> you know, you you have to really win a lot to 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 make your to make your way through, um, mm-hmm. and 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 so that's the second bit. You know, it some it sometimes takes a bit of time for your ranking to settle in terms mm-hmm. of what your what your level is. You know, I think we're seeing that a bit with Le Mans and Withrow now. You know, I think yeah. their rankings probably still a bit skew with you know but it's going to probably settle near enough around the top 15 you know top 20 you would think the way that they're going but they're not quite there yet so you need you need that time on the tour to accumulate enough points so i think that's it that's that's important um in terms of their their own their own games we always have to look at serve and return as as a starting point because Mm -hmm it's so prominent to to what they're doing you know and that's mm-hmm. been that's been a big area, area for for Harry you know where he's really really improved that in 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 the last few months 
and then with Lloyd, who's always been a very natural server, you know, mm. he's he's been the one that's had to work a bit more on the on the returns. Um and and certainly certain returns that players maybe were were targeting six, eight months ago. I smile when they target those returns now because I know yeah. I know how locked in it is, you know, and that's and I think that's also a great example for, for any young players that are, you know, these guys are 29, 33 years old. I can absolutely tell you with certainty they are developing their game. You know, they're yeah. adding they're adding to their game, you know, and and making some quite huge differences in their game as well. You know, it's it's a it's still an ongoing process. Um, so, so we've now, again, what we'll do at the end of these events, we'll then, we then analyze We're we're very lucky to have, you know, very good data that comes through and video analysis and, you know, we mm-hmm. can really, we can really earmark areas, one that we feel and we see with the naked eye, but two, we can then delve into, into the data to really see where the, where the next gains come from. So, um, yeah, watch this space over the next few months, but th- those areas have, have already been identified and, and will continue to be, be worked at as well. Um, but yeah, certainly sure. it's been a, it's been a, it's been a big rise for them. And, and, and that's been my job as well as their coach to, to keep getting that through because we, we see it time and time and time again in tennis is people rise quickly, but then they feel they've got something to protect, you know, mm-hmm. and the way that the ranking system works with this 12 month rolling system, but the message is very clear to them. They're still rising. You know, it's still, yeah. they're still, okay. They're 11 in the world, but they're, they're, they're rising and they're trying to get, trying to get to the very top. And I think that's an important mentality as well, you know, rather than starting to feel like, where now we need to protect our points and protect our yeah. ranking, protect kind of plateau our team, a little bit, yeah. You know, which which we see happen kind of globally in in this sport as well. Um, but yeah, it's an ongoing, it's a, it's an ongoing process. It, it it really is. You know, they're they're still, I would say, in the stage of their partnership where there's still big developments can happen and and they they, sure. they want to happen and 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 they're working towards that. Um, Whereas you get some of these doubles guys that are in their late thirties that are, yeah. are, are using their or early forties or almost mid forties, like Rohan Bapana, Rohan, yeah, you know, that are using their their nous, their 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 skill sets that they've honed in, their experience mm-hmm. that they've used for for many many years. Um, where I was, I would look at Lloyd, Lloyd. And I saw, I think I saw some rankings today that there's only two or three guys in the top hundred under 25 years old in the, mm. in the men's doubles rankings right now. So that yeah. puts Lo- Lloyd at 29 as, as a youngster, you know, yeah. and I've had to remind the boys have lost a couple of tight heartbreaking matches in Indian Wells and Miami in the quarterfinals. But I've had to also remind them it's the first time they've played those events. Yeah, you know, you, you know, it's, <laughs> it's crazy still, to see, crazy to hear. Um, yeah, you know, they haven't played Monte Carlo before. You know, they this is they got into Rome last year, um, which is a funny story. I don't know if you heard picked up on that story, but they they found out literally at midnight that they were getting oh, in the next day. So yeah. Harry Harry men managed to get on a plane that morning um, out to Rome and just made it in time. To, to play against Salisbury Ram and they went and won that match. So you've got to be yeah. you've got to be ready to take the opportunities. But they're they're still very much newcomers to this, you know. So mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, 
developing their games, but also just becoming normalizing these events, you know, feeling mm-hmm. comfortable, feeling that, that they belong, feeling how they how they feel in a quarterfinal match, a semi-final match. You know, sure. these are all relatively new experiences for the boys. Um yeah. which which in itself is gonna is gonna help them improve as well. Yeah, yeah, plenty of upside to take advantage of. Um so you mentioned Lloyd's returns and I've I've heard different philosophies on return strategy, especially at, at the higher levels. Um and want to get your take. So like at the club level, I typically teach people, you know, make as many returns as possible. Just avoid missing the return. But then at the pro level, I feel like you can also take a different approach of like rip the returns and eventually you're going to have a game where you land a couple of them and you're going to get that break and that might be all you need for the set. Um, how do you think about that balance of consistency versus going for it? Because um, Obviously, a lot of the time at the pro level, just making the returns not good enough because somebody's there at the net to to pick that off. So, um, how do you think about return strategy? Can we can we have consistency whilst going for it? <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think you tend to. I'll maybe not say names because I I don't want to offend anybody, but you you, you tend to have you you will have players mm-hmm. that aren't that established as returners. They 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 not overly competent as returners. Mm-hmm. So they then have that strategy, I believe, of do I do I lob a lot? Do I sure. you know try and just if I touch the ball, I make it in some mm-hmm. way. Um, or or do I try and bluff people out of serving into this spot by hitting it really hard and mm. and making and making the opponent feel like, geez, I don't want to serve there because they hit the ball so hard. You know, yeah. so you'll tend to get the less competent returners will will pick those strategies. Mm. You know? Okay. Where whereas I would say, and I and I honestly believe this with Lloyd and with Harry, I think they're both very competent returners, you know, and I think it's why I believe they're gonna go on and win Grand Slams because they they can do it all. You know, they yeah. they can both they can both find the court with quality on a consistent basis, you know, and 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 ultimately it then will become a little bit down to, you know, strategy of you know whether it's scouting and you've got a pretty good idea you know through scouting of of what players people are going to do and you know having a clarity of target that you mm-hmm. that you're that you're going for um and then secondly if it's it, there's a difference between getting your racket on it and it being in the hitting zone which is why uh, a lot of a lot of players nowadays on first serve in particular aren't serving body serves mm-hmm. so much because yeah. If you're serving body against a good returner, that it means they're going to get their racket on it, in it, in it, in, and they're going to have a hit, you know. And and the and the best returners uh, are able to come up with something. So so you tend to get people serving more into the spots and trying to get people on the stretch more. Yeah, um, you know, and that's where again, if you take some of the best servers, Lemans and, and Withrow, Lemans in particular, he he's a big one for serving even second serve into spots. Yeah. because he's because he's got the he's got the speed to be able to do it um 
you know, so it, 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 so it will then, and you'll hear me say these words quite a bit, I say them as coaching, it depends because it does depend then who you're playing because yeah. you, know, you're, you're, you can have a Le Mans and Withrow that are serving average of 126, 127 miles mm-hmm. an hour first serve to, to Roger Vaselin, who's maybe serving 112, you know, and that's, that's a big difference at that level. You know, sure. so you know, so you you will have, I guess, different different strategies potentially. But I would just go back to probably the competence of the returner. You know, yeah. and that's the best. The best returners are looking to be aggressive on the return. You know, mm-hmm. and and ultimately they're going to have to deal with some on the stretch. And the lobs are very important shot in doubles. The lob yeah. returns. You know, uh, Jamie Murray, I think was a big one to bring that in a few years ago with, with yeah. Louis Kaye, the way that he to manage his forehand. Obviously, mm-hmm. Leander, Leander Pays, you know, these type of players that use the lob return incredibly well. It's mm-hmm. it's it's now a very much used, it's quite a high percentage return that that the players are using on the stretch now. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, your your go-to as a competent returner is to hit hit with a quality return, but not obviously not over hit. You're not trying to I guess getting into the technical side of of, of returns, you mm-hmm. also don't want to be slapping a return, you know. And right. If you're slapping a return, it means that your energy's going into the ball rather than your energy going out of the ball, you know, and you mm-hmm. actually want to get your your spark happening from the contact and out rather than sparking too much in, which is where we lose the control as well. Um, right. You know, so when you see, so, so people that it, it's, it's kind of a, and I would say the same with club players. It, 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 when you see someone just absolutely slapping one, it's, it's often you've found their weakness. Yeah. You know, you found that. Go ahead. Yeah, no, just you, you found you found the mm. shot that they're almost trying to put you off going to because it makes them feel uncomfortable. So so they're just gonna try and just absolutely rip it and and hope that you then don't serve serve there again. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I, I haven't heard it phrased that way, like energy going into the ball versus coming out of the ball, because I guess that makes sense because if you're like slapping at it and taking a big backswing, like that's not really what you want from a good returner, right? So no, well, the acceleration, if the acceleration, we call it spark, but if that's, okay. if that's happened, if that's happened before contact, yeah. you've tend to have, you've tend to have already opened up the body and the hips and all that's left now is, is for the arm to slap into the ball. Right. And, and, and we get, we get a lot more control when we use the body together. So mm-hmm. we want, we, we want body spark. We want body energy and that yeah. will happen more from contact and out than it will than it will when you're but okay. when you when when you don't have confidence and you're trying to hit, just hit it you will mm-hmm. tend to open up early and and spark way too early which then turns into that feeling yeah. of just slapping into the ball yeah that makes sense um so i want to move on to a, a kind of a club level doubles question for you uh obviously one of the biggest mistakes i see at the club level uh, is just covering the alley too much. Um, it's something that I'm sure you've been asked about a, a thousand times. But h- how do you explain to players um, at that level to stop covering the alley? Or how do you convince them? Because I, I feel like a lot of times um, I've, I've been coaching a high school team recently and I tell the players and then they'll go out there and then they'll still like stand close to the doubles alley. 
Um, how do you go about kind of getting that message through, whether it's through a drill or uh, phrasing of how you explain something? Um, how, how do you explain that to to players? Yeah, it's again, it's an interesting one because yeah, you can use statistics, mm-hmm. but the problem with using statistics of professional tennis it is this is the the statistics will be different at club level tennis. You know, mm-hmm. so so we know it's it's a create something like eighty seven percent of balls go through the middle window on on the doubles on the at the, at the pro level. Now mm-hmm. that's because guys are serving it because it's different in men and women's as well, very much so. Sure. You know, the the strategy is very different in men and women's doubles because of because the serve isn't as as prominent and dominant in the in the women's game. So. Yeah. So what you could say, and Louis Kaye, who is a, is a mentor of mine, he he says it all the time. He's never known one of his he's never known one of his teams be beaten in the alleys two times in a match ever ever in the whole time he's coached. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, but Louis, that's when they're serving at 125 mile an hour. Yeah. So 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 we 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 have to we have to bear that in mind. So so mm-hmm. I would I so I if I I would still try and use statistics. I I like using statistics at all levels, and that might just be watching a set and just having. I might have a pen and paper. I might just keep it in my head. How many balls go into the alleys mm-hmm. off return? And and you might take that data set and say, Hey guys, in the last set, there's been one shot that's gone in the alleys off the return. You know, mm-hmm. you you might be able to collate that over a period of four or five weeks. So there's nothing better than showing that. You know, showing mm-hmm. that with facts to 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 get the buy-in. Um, so that would be one kind of relatively simple way. The 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 way that I absolutely love, and again, it's that man Louis Kaye again, and I'm sure will with your doubles expertise and your 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 admiration of doubles you've seen it before but he, he uses ropes mm-hmm. to show the territory you know yeah. and, and and to be able to mark that out now do you have 80 feet of rope hanging around in your tennis club i don't know but you can <laughs> but but there's other ways of doing it you know we do it on the clay courts by drawing lines um sure. and it's that's a really nice way to get people at all levels of the sport just to understand the geometry of the court Mm -hmm. and and the positions that you need to be in. Because if the serve goes out wide on the juice side, you know, and it's quite a wide serve, you probably do have to watch the alleys a little bit more, Mm -hmm. you know, and by moving over there, even by having your left foot on the singles line, because of the geometry and the new position of the court, you're still covering the middle from that angle. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. if the serve goes down the tee, you actually, you actually can be much more closer to the middle to be able to still, with one step and sticking the racket out, cover a ball that, let's say, goes into the first foot of the alley. Yeah. You know, and, and and so then maybe it's saying to them, well, if the other team hit it in the half of the half of the alley, let them have the point. Yeah, because because the whole uh, so so that's that's one way of showing it. But then the 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 third bit, and this is I think often the the icing on the cake or the cherry on the top of getting people to buy into it, is the overarching strategy of doubles 
is to cause to cause stress to your opponents. Mm. So so in, in tennis is a muscle relaxing sport. You know, all of us at all levels of the game play the sport better when we're our, our muscles are relaxed. So yeah. as soon as there's tension, it's very difficult for us to execute. So so it's a little bit of a cat and mouse game doubles because you're you're almost wanting to edge them on mm-hmm. to hit that small area. Yeah. And and you say to a club a club player, how many times off a 70 mile an hour serve are you able to redirect the ball into that one and a half, two feet of space? If yeah. you can have the point, well done. Yeah, because I'll take the other ten points that you miss wide because yeah. you're trying to because you're trying to do it, yeah. you know. So 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 it's it's trying to and at all levels of doubles that I've ever coached, it's trying to get them to understand that what you do without even hitting a tennis ball can have such a monumental effect on how your opponents are feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, if your opponent has a really not good backhand cross court take it away from them make them hit backhand mm-hmm. down the line just yeah. by making them do that you've caused stress and you've caused tension <laughs> so yeah. now their ability to execute is is much harder you know if it's they they love their forehand return don't serve to their forehand you know mm-hmm. what whatever, whatever it might it, it's it, in in different ways and that's where at the very basic level of strategy it's about trying to use the net player to be in the way of the ball you know, mm-hmm. use the net player to get in the way of the ball and force your opponent to hit the return that they don't want to hit, which is gonna which is gonna build some stress. So it's it would be trying to explain those things, trying to then show them visually through the ropes, trying to show them maybe visually with with some objective data that mm-hmm. doesn't have to be scary. That can just be, you know, secretly charting one of their sets. And and then ultimately there has to then be with any student, however young or old they are, there has to be an intention to want to get better. <laughs> if yeah. you've got if you've got a student who doesn't have that intention to want to get better, it doesn't matter really what you show them because right. they right. they 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 they're gonna they're gonna reject it anyway. Um yeah. but that would be my that would be my three step strategy to try and get club school players to, to awesome. buy into it. Yeah, I'll try to find a uh, a video of the the rope um uh the rope example and and link to it in the show notes for people listening. Um so I wanted to ask also about um drills. What what are some of your favorite doubles drills to get people more comfortable especially at the net um yep. for club players? So I I like I like to position bravery is a big character trait you need to be good at doubles. You know, if mm-hmm. you're if you're brave, then you will put yourself in positions which naturally cause stress to your opponent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're not yeah. brave, if you're not brave, you're gonna hang back so far that then you're relatively easy to play. Mm-hmm. You know, so so something even as basic as I like I like to get players one standing on almost on the net right up by the net putting their elbows then over the net 
mm. and and firing balls at them where they're just literally turning their hand at the ball. Interesting. So they're hitting then, it on the other side of the net. So they're hitting it on the other side of the net. Then, uh, then I would take them back to being completely on their side and yeah. just getting them. It's changing the muscle pattern of actually rather than most people when 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 a ball comes at us, it's a human reaction to pull away. Yeah. Just like if somebody goes to punch you in the face, there's a human reaction to 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 move away. So when the ball comes fast at us, the natural reaction is we go back, the racket goes back, we lose complete control. Whereas mm-hmm. what we want is we want the racket and the hand to go to the ball when we're that close mm-hmm. to the net. Yeah, so so it's it's trying to get that that change. That's so a good one. I'm doing that the, one today with yeah. the kids. <laughs> yeah, so elbows over means they have no yeah. choice because they can't go back. Then yeah. you go the uh, a little bit further back, but still on top yeah. of the net. And then you're trying to build a quick tempo. Can you feed the ball really fast at them? You like know, and, that, yeah. and they're just able to just put their put their hand and racket out to the ball. You know, so mm-hmm. that would that would certainly be something that i i think to play doubles at a high level at any at any stage age and stage if you're comfortable really close to the net mm-hmm. you you're in a good place it's going to so, help a lot yeah yeah and that so i mean and, and we do we do a lot i do a lot of that with the boys we then bring in we then we then bring in exactly where to volley you know, so so there's no thought process. It's just that's drilled in. If you receive yeah. that, you volley there. You know, and yeah. in, in 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 general, when you're that close to the net, it's just about angling the volleys off. Right, you know, just, that's all you want to do. So that then becomes second nature. Um, so yeah, yeah so w- when we're talking about that that phase of volleying, that would be those would be a, a couple of ideas. Yeah, I, I the volley location is something i've studied a lot more the last like year or so and when i was i was in montreal last year and i was watching uh wesley Kuhlhoff practice and he was doing a similar drill where he was way up at the net and his coach is feeding right at him uh and they had some sticks kind of across the singles line and he was just taking every volley across his body um from real close to the net uh what is what is your kind of philosophy on where to hit your volleys? Cause I've, I've been teaching people to do that. Just don't even think about it. Just hit it across your body. If you're close to the net, um, because you'll miss a lot fewer. And then if you angle it off, like they're probably not going to get to it anyways. Um, but, but what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, well, that's it. That's, that's exactly right. I mean, if you're, if your racket's touching the ball that close to the net, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're pretty much winning the point. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, unless you hit it to them, you know, and then someone hits a reaction volley. So yeah, so across the body angle off would be would be absolute go tos. Now the the one the the other philosophy that we've got is to think more about your target being the net rather than thinking about your target in the court. So mm. because it's because it's all about it's all about getting the right trajectory of the volley. You know, mm-hmm. and and when people are thinking, their focus is more on where they're volleying. You can lose all of a sudden. You see people hitting volleys three, four, five feet over the net, which is not what we want to do. You know, so so just bringing the focus very close to you because you're so close, and actually aiming for the net tape. Hmm. That's your okay. target. The 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 white yeah. of the net the net tape. 
just across your body, angling off. And it's almost impossible to hit the net. Yeah. Almost, it's almost impossible. So, so if you're, if you're doing that, you're, uh, that, that doesn't come back. If you're doing that and the ball's going three, four feet over the net, the ball's going out or it's, or it's coming back, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but if it's just darting, really low over the net at that correct trajectory. So we, so we think about trajectory rather than target, you know, okay. that would be, that would be a good, a good way of thinking of it. Um, but yeah, there's going to be the odd, there's going to be the odd situation. We've got to take in the variables of where the player is. Serve goes down the T serve goes down the T on the, on the juice side, you know, the ball comes, you might choose to play a backhand the other way because, uh, rather than across your body because the player's in the centre of the court. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so there's going to be, if you've got time, um, you might you might choose to do that, which the best doubles guys are able to play that kind of, it's quite a difficult volley. Um, mm-hmm. But but as a general rule, just across your body, angling away with low trajectory. And you when you're that close to the net, you, you won't go far wrong. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um so last question and then a couple of rapid fire questions. Uh, so this is a conversation about returns that I've, I've had with a few people and it seems like there's different philosophies on it and I want to get your take. Um, so you'll see uh, at the club level, some certainly at the pro level um, when the other team lines up in I formation, the returners partner will signal, you know, line or cross, like where are you hitting this return? And I spoke, um, I've heard from some players say, yeah, we like to call it. And then you stick to, you know, your whatever we called. Uh, I spoke with Catherine Harrison from the women's tour earlier this year. And she said she likes to just feel it out and like wait until the return or the serve gets to her and then kind of decide, okay, I have a a backhand. I'm going to go line across my body or I have a forehand. I'd prefer to go cross um, or I have more time. I might go line. What's your philosophy on calling returns um, down the line versus cross court? Uh, the thing is, I don't think you can because it depends where the serve goes. Okay. So <laughs> in general, in general, where the best returners are able to, when they're jammed in on their backhand, they can go down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in general, people play at a natural angle across their body on the return better. Mm-hmm. They tend to hit that return better. So, so if you're, if someone's hit a, hit a big wide serve on the ad mm-hmm. on your backhand, it's not advisable to be trying to change that down the line. Yeah. You know, as, as an example, you know, um, unless you, unless you get a good hit on it. So, so, so I would say my, my, my philosophy on that is we will study the patterns in advance, Mm. but again, it depends. I coach two players. One of them loves stats. The other one almost doesn't want them. Yeah. You know, so, so it's both of them will always have to come down to feel. Sure. But but you you are you are doing your due diligence to give some the the the, the information that is accessible, you mm-hmm. know, and, and and out there like we we spotted again without going into the big detail, but Le Mans and Withrow when we went off for rain the first time, we spotted something, 
yeah. in terms of what they were doing, which which meant we wanted to use a, a down the line return. So that was mm-hmm. a real crucial bit of information that was then used on the breakpoint to get the break. Mm-hmm. That that was and that was a slightly different pattern to what we picked up in their previous matches, you know. Okay. So 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 you 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 but that these guys are so good and if they're in a good headspace mentally they're starting to feel that where you've got to be very very careful as well as as coaches is never deliver it as definite so if i when i'm when i'm delivering scouting reports it's it's guys in this match this is what happened however you guys be ready to adjust and do what you need to do on 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 the given day Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it's much easier to have more set have set players in your head of what you're going to do as server. You might go on break point. This is the player we're gonna we're gonna do, and that and a lot of players like to have that before the match. That on yeah. my first break point, I'm gonna we're gonna serve, we're gonna do I serve serve T move right. What you yeah. know what? Whereas the return because there's so many variables of where the serve is going. Yeah, it's less in your control. Yeah. It, it's it, it's it's a it's a lot more it's a lot more challenging. There will obviously okay. be there's certain players, and this is why as returners partner, it's important that and we'll have our guys and most of the players do it. They're almost on the side a little bit mm-hmm. because you want in their peripheral vision to be seeing where the serve's going, because you start to feel what the likely return is going to be and the likely player is going to be. Yeah, so they're like turned towards the the service box a little bit. Yes. Yeah. So so and and one of the big reasons for that is for them to be able to feel what's happening. Whereas yeah. if you're completely turned looking forward, the ball doesn't come into your vision until it's almost too late. You don't know where the serve's gone, and yeah. then you don't know what where that where the return's going. You know, right. but the, so so there'll be certain plays. You know, if somebody's serving. Um, if somebody's serving I, IT on the add to the forehand, a lot of people mm-hmm. will go down the line return mm-hmm. if they can get their racket on. <laughs> if yep. they're on the stretch, then they'll struggle to they'll struggle to pull it back cross court, uh, pull it back down the line. You know, so you so you start to use your <laughs> intuition on what's on what's happening within the match, and I and I think it's so important that players have that and. Not just I'm not just talking about Lloyd and Harry here. I'm talking about me as a player. I'm talking about all the players I've worked with and, mm-hmm. and been around in the sport for the last 30 years. Ultimately, it's a, tennis is about moments. And and moments tend to be about feel. Yeah. You know, now, you know, giving yourself information and doing your due diligence will obviously help your in- intelligence of the of a situation mm-hmm. uh, but but all of these guys can serve in all directions you know all of these guys can come up with a, come up with a certain play so mm-hmm. you there, there's nobody i would trust more than the player on the court to to feel to feel that situation um, yeah. so so yeah it's a, it's a long-winded response to yes absolutely get the information in advance you know mm-hmm. have that in your computer and 
but then that on top of what actually is happening and what you're feeling <clears throat> will 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 result in what you're what you're going to look to do and i would say on a second serve you're more likely to make that call yeah you can adjust a little easier because you, sure. you're going to get you're going to get a hit in all directions but if someone's hitting a 131 yeah <laughs> just do your best to get it back <laughs> yeah um all right so a couple of rapid fire questions then i'm going to let you go uh what is your favorite tennis book my favorite tennis book oh good question um i uh the, you know the one that the one that jumped to my mind because this helped me when i was younger was is winning ugly by brad gilbert mm-hmm. because that was <clears throat> what i liked about that when i was younger is it, it helped me see tennis as not just hitting tennis balls yeah you know, and I, and I think that's that's something that youngsters. I've got a son who plays tennis. He's twelve. He he can't see that there's more to it than hitting tennis balls and winning and losing. You know, mm-hmm. and, and reading that. So that that was definitely an impact. Um, mentally tough tennis. Um, but Anthony Ross is an incredibly practical and I've worked with Anthony for, for a few years on the back of it because I, I loved, I loved his concepts and way that he labeled things around sports psychology and in particular tennis psychology. Um, Mm -hmm. so again, that's, that's something that's had quite a a deep impact on me as well. Um, so I would say, I would say those two, uh, ones that jumped to my mind and for listeners, I don't get these questions in advance, you know, so, um, (laughs) this is all, he's all, he's, he's sprung these on me. So those are, those are, those are the two at the top of my top of my list. It's two good answers though. Uh, what is your favorite tournament? Before I spouted out Wimbledon, which I was about to, (laughs) I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Pass on Wimbledon purely because it's Wimbledon's the greatest event in the world. It's not, it's almost too, it's not a tennis, it, it is a tennis tournament, but it's, it's different. It's an event. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. party. It's a garden party. It's a, it's tradition. It's history. It's, it, it's like no other tennis tournament. You can't, you, you can't almost put it in the same category of, mm-hmm. as, as a tennis tournament. And anyone that hasn't been go, you know, you'll you'll feel it when you walk through the doors. Um, so then I would have to say Australian Open. Um in in terms of just pure tennis tournament. Uh Australia, I I just think it's that that whole that whole period in Australia at that time of year, it's like sports heaven, you know, and when the rest of the world is in there, the rest of the world tends to be in their winter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's their their summer comes alive, and they do it so fantastically well. And you know, night matches, you know, beautiful weather. The the, the tournament's done very well. But I, from a fan perspective, I I completely I completely get it. He always really good crowds. Um, so I'd have to say Australian Open. Yeah, I love that one as well. Um, okay, last question for you. Uh, We've touched on this already. I typically ask, how do we make doubles more popular? But I'm going to rephrase it for you since we've talked about that a lot. Um, What are one to three things you would change in the next year to make doubles more popular? 
Well, uh, firstly, would be social media. Um, I, I think I I saw two I saw two doubles clips, and I I'm not an like constantly on social media, so I might have missed some. But on your tennis TV clips mm-hmm. that you see, one of them was Rob Morgan. Uh, Rob uh, is Wesley Kulov's coach, and you know mm-hmm. love Rob, great guy. Uh, but Rob hitting like uh, the the camera had caught it. He'd he'd ran back and he hit like it wasn't through his legs, but it was a, it was a ridiculous shot that he hit. Yeah. Um, but but that said a lot to me. He's not a doubles player. He's a coach, and that yeah. was the one. That was the one thing that they showed. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Doubles from Indian Wells, and it was like, okay, great, Rob. Hey, mate, amazing shot. But we're not trying to necessarily market Rob. Um, and the second one was, and the second one was actually Wesley Kulov hit a hit a shot round the net post. Um, yeah, but, a, but apart from, apart from that, I I see or, or or I see very very little. Yeah, you know, and so it, it's it sounds a bit like what you're saying um, from the event that you that you mentioned earlier, where you said that uh, what event was it you talked about? And you said that they didn't have any of the doubles players up. Oh, the WTA finals. The yeah. WTA finals. Yeah. yeah. So so that these simple things that are just putting just putting people and putting yeah. the names in the limelight and f- familiarizing faces right you know, stuff and, they're already doing for singles on social yeah, media and just do it just, for doubles 25% yeah, build, or something yeah, <laughs> yeah just just build some profile you know okay, build yeah. build some profile so i think that would be that would be the first thing that i that yeah. i would say um the second thing i would say would be yeah get get rid of change events Get rid of get rid of change events and get rid of the warm up. You know, just so would cut. you would you do a break like after the set first set or something? Maybe like ninety seconds after a set. Possibly or just no, no change events. Possibly a minute. I mean, I mean, yeah. geez, the guys could have a water bottle in the corner with their towel. Would you still do change of ends, but no break, or just yeah, not even... no? Would would I would have change of ends? Sorry, but just not. Yeah. Just cut the breaks. Cut the breaks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, not not no sitting down. I right. just I just think if we're 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 in we're in the the Netflix era of in, yeah. instant gratification era, so yeah. let's let's instantly gratify people with nonstop tennis. Yeah, you know, just like grab a quick sip and keep going. Yeah, yeah, you know, let's. I mean, come on, guy. Like, I know. I mean, certainly my guys are in great shape. They're not going to struggle. They're not going to struggle to just play an hour of doubles without sitting down. You know. Yeah. Um. So I would. I would say that third one. I just want like maybe it's maybe this is actually a little bit uh, hypocritical, but it's just the one that's jumped to my mind. I don't want to just go down the boring route, but like. Yeah, maybe there's a, like a timeout. So maybe they have they have one timeout, uh, uh, one timeout, uh, a match where they can go and speak, speak in their coaches, but the the uh, audience he- the audience hear it. You know, yeah. they, everyone they're mic'd up. You know, the player they can call the timeout at any point. So it might be, yeah. it might be uh, sudden a, death, no ad point. point or something. Yeah. No ad point, miss first serve. Yeah. Call the timeout, you know. Yeah, we. I, I. I see it. I watched a lot of basketball when I was in the states the last few weeks, and you know, like how they do it, where they ice, they ice the free throw shooter. 
You right. know, they call the timeout just before they're taking a free for all, you know, oh, ice like them that. for the second step. You know, yeah. something that's something that's strategic that yeah. that brings like this when they're gonna do it. When, when, yeah. Oh my god, they've done oh my god, they've picked the wrong. They, you know, they like, should use their timeout here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Something that yeah, yeah. brings a, a, a different excitement to it. And do you know what? You like lose that. matches, you double fuff, get over it, guys. You know, learn, yeah. you know, learn, and that goes into your training. You know, you start to do that in your training sets and you start to, sure. you know, it, it, it just, you, you start to adapt the way that you go. So, um, is mm-hmm. that three? Is that three? That's, th- that's three. If you yeah, have a fourth, we can keep well, going. Just, I know you're probably well, pressed for time though. The, the fourth, it would just be carnival music place to be. You're like not, ju- you're not yeah. just going for the tennis. You're going, yeah. You're going because John Legend is singing as well, or I don't know. Do you know you're going? You, you, yeah. You're opening. You're opening up other markets. You know, yeah. uh, and you're you're getting into into different things. I, it, I'd love to keep. I think Grand Slams should. They're working. Grand Slams work. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think there's a lot needs to be touched in Grand Slams. I think probably the scoring system, and they've done it at Wimbledon this year. I would probably say Grand Slams go to the same scoring system for doubles as the rest mm. of the year. Um, you can then get mm. them onto bigger courts easier. Um, you know, doubles match can be three hours right now at a Grand Slam. You know, that's that's too much, you know, yeah. fitting into the world. We have to we have to accept as much as I'd like to be an old fuddy duddy and say <laughs> tennis is this way, we all wear white, we all do this, we all bubba. It's yeah. it's not the way of the world right now, you know, and we've and we've got to move. We've got to, we've got to move with the times. Um so bringing a diff- different atmosphere, making it more of an event, having music, having whatever else that comes so you you you're attracting a different audience and the and the tennis is is a is a, is the a part of that, you know, and after yeah. a couple of couple of beers it goes to a tie break and someone calls a timeout and the crowd are into it. And, you know, we then get that on social media and we start creating some stars. And that's mm-hmm. uh, how I think the sport can start to grow. I love it. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure um, we'll have to do a round two at some point because that was, that was fantastic. And I know you have a lot more doubles knowledge to share uh, with the audience, but um Anyways, for everyone listening, uh, I'll link to everything in the show notes. Um, Dan, any final requests of the audience or last comments before we? No, hop I off? just no. My my last uh, two things were one, well done to yourself. You know, I think you shining a light on the doubles tour. You know, and I've started to follow your stuff as well, and it's it's great. It's great to see that you know Thank someone you. is is putting that passion into it. So you know, on behalf of the doubles guys out there as well. Thank you for that as well, because that's, that's great to have. Secondly, anyone, any of the listeners that haven't listened, if you do love doubles, I, and you must've been told this before, Will, how much you look like John Piers. <laughs> I haven't heard that. No, <laughs> it's on You need to put a picture of you and John Piers in the show notes as well. Because at, at, at first, when I picked up the phone, I thought John Piers was was talking to me. Really? So that, yeah, just to keep the doubles theme going. Um, I guess I kind of see it. Yeah, I've got some photos of him. I was watching him at Indian Wells for a bit. So it's it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I've been thinking of the whole. If I didn't say that at the end of this chat, then I would have regretted it. So, um, <laughs> but no, good, just great. And, th- and again, everyone listening, you know, thank you for 
you're obviously all big supporters of doubles as well, you know. So let's uh, keep fighting the good fight. You know, this is a it gives us it gives us so much. And I genuinely, yeah. if I had anybody else in the world ask me to coach them, I wouldn't want to be coaching anyone but my doubles guys. And I mean that, you know, like doubles. I really when I took it fully took it on. I had a few people say to me, Are "You sure? Like, you know, you're yeah. not going to get the respect that the singles coaches get." And, yeah, I uh, you know I don't care about that. You know, for me, I'm extremely passionate about about doubles as a as as a product, as a sport. Uh, you know, to watch, to play, all all of that, and um, I'm I'm massively banging that drum to to make sure that we better better it for everyone involved. So thank you to everyone else that's doing that as well. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Dan, and uh, we will chat again soon. I'm sure. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Doubles Only Podcast. If you're interested in diving deeper into any topics I discuss, I've created double strategy products that allow me to bring you more podcasts and other doubles content without relying on paid ads. I have ebooks and courses that help you make better strategic decisions during matches and become the smartest player on the court. Go to thetennistribe.com slash products to learn more. You can also join my free weekly double strategy newsletter that includes video lessons and more on our homepage. If you want to connect, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or email me directly, will at thetennistribe.com.